I want you to rest with me for a minute. Rest with me for a minute. As I share something that God spoke to me a few weeks back. Uh, the interns were still here and we started working on a few things. And, and I was talking to them a little bit about what God was sharing with me. And, and I felt then that God was beginning to develop a sermon series for us to move through. But I knew the timing wasn't exact. And uh, as I prayed, I just felt like we would wait till after Labor Day. And uh, I felt the amen of the Lord in that. But he, here's where I'm at a little bit. And, and I may sit down some today. I'm supposed to, but I don't know if I will. Uh, thanks for praying for me for knee surgery on Tuesday. Everything is well and recovery is good. And um, you can pray if you want to for supernatural healing this week. Uh, as Bo and I have a, uh, an adventure with Ted Nugent this coming weekend. Um, if you don't know, though, Ted Nugent's actually going to be in Centerville on Friday. Uh, there's a Second Amendment uh, rally happening here in Centerville. And so Ted is flying in his helicopter from our hunt to here, do a speech, and then he's going to fly back in his helicopter. Uh, and then, uh, anyway, so we got to be healed up. Amen. I'm going to invite Ted Nugent to church. Because, see, I, I know he knows his way to Centerville. Hello, somebody. At least his helicopter pilot does. So, uh, anyway, um, an interesting time. So, knee's got to be healed up by uh, (laughs) this coming weekend. It'll be fun. Um, I get to talk to Ted Nugent about Jesus. I'm ready. Now, if y'all see his big old Jeep out there on a Sunday morning, hello, somebody. Um, Anyway, it's a little fun. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. I want to to share this for a minute, if this is okay. Um, let Let me do this. Bible stories are interesting things. Now, I've said this as your pastor, and I'm going to continue to say this. Outside of Jesus Christ and the love of my wife, The greatest change agent in my life has been the Word of God. And you will have to be, uh, you'll have to forgive me a little bit when I share with people that are going through some things about how powerful the Word of God and how simply I believe that the Word of God can change our lives in incredible ways. And when I say that, most people think that's too simple. I need you know, uh, 25, st- I, need, I need this, I need that. But I, I want you to understand that when I came to meet Jesus, I was a broken man in a lot of ways. Angry at the world, angry at my family, angry uh, at my wife, angry at where I was an angry individual. And uh, I remember Pastor Rick taking me on a journey through the scripture of which I had never read until... I was 19 years old. And the, the more of the word of God that I put in my life, the more my life began to change. And it was a supernatural moving because I understood how the word of God could lead me in living. And when people are struggling with things and I look at them and say, it's as simple 
as how much time you spend in the Word of God. You don't believe me. You don't believe me. And so we'll do everything else. Why? Because Bible stories, unfortunately, have become the stuff of, and I'm not degrading Sunday school, but they've become the stuff of children's books. And um, they're cute, they're, they're good um, for teaching morality lessons to our young children, but they're not really relevant for us today. And so we, we kind of live there as adults, and, and maybe we can shoehorn some of those stories into um, things that apply from time to time. Maybe. But I think there is a gaping need today. And when I say gaping, I mean huge. I believe there's a gaping need today in the church for the Word of God tackling relevant issues. I I think the Bible is as relevant as it has ever been in history. You'll never convince me that the things that we see unfolding in front of us today have not already been revealed to us in the Scripture. And and if you can see that, why can we not see that the Scripture also has things to say about the other issues in our life? But yet, in our own mind, in our own effort, we think that's not enough, and so we do it our own way, and we think God will wink at it. And the Bible says that God does not wink at sin any longer. I've had people leave this church for me encouraging us to read our Bible. It's it's incredible. You know, reading my Bible helped me fix my marriage. My marriage didn't get better overnight. I didn't get better overnight. It was reading the Scripture and learning how the Scripture would change my life if I would obey it. That cause things to get better. You know what I'm saying? Like God did not just supernaturally that night at the altar. I mean, he he moved in a powerful way. But when, when I came, you know, 25 plus years ago at the altar to confess an addiction to pornography because I knew that that was ruining my life and my marriage and and everything. There was a move of God that night, but it was the word of God every day that I put in my life instead of just creating a vacuum that said, well, I won't look at that nonsense anymore. You are not created people to live in a vacuum. That's why I can't or I won't do it anymore, never works. I just won't say bad words anymore. Yeah, go ahead and smash your finger, stub your toe. What's in you comes out. It never works in our own effort. But see, the Word of God begins to replace or fill our lives in a powerful way. But yet, We think that Bible stories are things for children. And here, let me tell the church a truth. 
When we do that, we forget that at the center of the Word of God is the grand story of salvation. It's right there. We have to understand that the Scripture, the Bible, is a narrative of God working to reclaim His creation from sin, death, and hell. And individual Bible stories, when we read them, we begin to learn, yes, as little children, how to fit puzzles into our understanding of the epic story of salvation. And so in this sermon series that I'm about to start, that we've titled Children's Stories, come on somebody, I believe God's going to help us reclaim, everybody say reclaim, the stories that are actually our stories. They're us in the scripture. Y'all not paying attention. Uh, Watch this. Listen, if I were to say to you that the flood, Noah's flood, is not about a bunch of happy animals on a boat. Instead, it's about God's wrath against sinners and His uncompromising promise to reclaim His creation. We might look at the flood a little different. We might draw pictures of the flood a little different. We might prefer the truth. If I were to say to you that Samson, come on somebody, isn't a simple story about a strong man. See, I see Samson different because people came up to Samson. He's toting the gates of the city on his back. He's ripped them off the hinge. And they ask him, where'd you get your strength? Now, I'm just going to be honest with you for a little bit. I work out. I like working out. But there ain't a soul in this room going to walk up to a guy like Arnold Schwarzenegger and go, where you get your strength? Guys like uh, us old-timers, Lou Ferrigno. Right? Guys like Ronnie Coleman. Lightweight. We're not going to ask them. They got muscles bulging out of their lobes. But when you see a little bitty skinny guy like me with a sweet tea belly toting the gates of the city on his back, you might say, where do you get his strength? See, I don't picture Samson as a muscle-bound guy. I don't. I I I, I picture him as a pretty boy. That's just me, though. If I were to tell you that Samson isn't a story about a strong man, but it's about God's faithfulness to save his people despite character flaws. We might. Do I got your attention yet? Do I have your attention yet? See, what's easy, churches, for us to miss our lives as a part of God's great plan of salvation? Because we don't think the Bible's relevant for today. It has no bearing on what I'm going through or how I deal with it. It cannot help me in my current situation. And we miss the fact that our life, good or bad, struggle or no struggle, is a part of God's great plan of salvation. Your life, my life, right here, right now. 
And that mine and your life are really Bible stories of Christ's redeeming creation mm. through the gospel promise. Oh, I, see, I, this came because I read a Bible story in a children's book sitting in a doctor's office and literally got upset. Well, I was like, that is, that, is, that is not what it says. Why do we do this to our children? Was, was not in the Bible? No wonder we don't think it's relevant for today. We don't even present it as real to our kids. Bible stories, adults, we often miss out on the fact that God is involving us in his mission. So here we go. Is it, are you all right? Genesis 4, chapter, two, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. And again, she bore his brother Abel. So we know that Eve, Adam and Eve, uh, you know, they conceive and bore Cain. And, and I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. And now Abel is a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, like when it was appropriate for them to bring their own sacrifice, in, in the course of time, because they're adults now, hello somebody, they got to be responsible for their own life. There's a sermon altogether. Uh, in, the, in the course of time... I love this. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and, and, and of, their, of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain, his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, what? Why are you angry? Why, why is your face fallen? I mean, God literally looks at Cain and says, don't, don't be upset. It's, it's not an issue. Just try again. Listen. That's what he says. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. And this desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. Father, bless the reading of the word to the receiving of our heart. The hearing of our ears in Jesus' name. And everyone said, all right, here we go. Now watch this. I, see, by faith. Everybody say by faith. I'm going to take this children's story of Cain and Abel. And, and we got all this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, Cain. I, I've seen all of this junk on Facebook. You know, well, forget about guns and, and knives and you know Cain killed Abel with a rock where did it say that in the Bible this is because adults don't pay attention where did it ever tell us that Cain used a particular thing to kill his brother why does that even matter see that's you use the scripture for your own Abel offered, by faith, everybody say by faith. By faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain did. But what does that mean? What made the sacrifice more acceptable? What, what does it mean for us? 
It's, I, mean, I would say this, I think it's odd. We all seem to know the story of Cain and Abel. And you know what? Cain gets all the press. Sure he does. Like Cain's mentioned uh, in 18 verses and, and Abel's mentioned in like 11. That's like one-third. Hello, somebody. I mean, there's actually a scripture in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 3, and it says, Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain's actions were evil. Question mark, question mark. Cain's actions were evil? Yes. Cain's actions led him to murder his brother. In other words, what I'm saying to you today is Cain's evil actions didn't start with murdering his brother. They started before the murder of his brother. Now, some, of, some people believe that Cain knew he had to offer an animal and a sacrifice because Cain refused to obey God in giving an animal sacrifice, and that's what made his actions evil. The only problem that I have with this, and this is just my commentary, you can chew, out the, chew the meat and spit out the bones. That is not what the Bible said. That is not at all what the Scripture said. Chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 2 and 5, never, ever, ever does God say you're only allowed to bring an animal sacrifice. He never says that. It's not there. In fact, the Bible says Abel's a keeper of sheep, so he brings a sheep. Cain is a worker of the ground, so he brings his crops. Now, each of them bring what they have raised to give to God. So if each of them brought what they raised as a sacrifice, why would God accept Abel's gift and reject Cain's? Something for you to write down, something for you to think through, something for us to grab from a children's story to make us go, okay. Sometimes the problem isn't with the gift. It's with the giver. If you, throughout the Bible, throughout the scripture, God repeatedly rejects sacrifices because there was something wrong with the giver, not because of the gift. I got a scripture for you. Are you ready? Isaiah 1, 11, 13, 15 through 17. God said, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and, fat, uh, and of fatted cattle. I do not delight in blood of bulls or lambs of goats. Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. I cannot endure iniquity and a sacred meeting. Listen to what God said. I cannot endure iniquity and a sacred meeting. When you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I'll not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourself clean. Put away evil from your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless and plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. 
Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're like red crimson, they shall be as wool. The problem for Israel wasn't the gift. It was the giver. You know, Jesus said the same thing, just in case you think I'm, uh, you know, overworking it. You know what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5? Listen, he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, that your brother has something against not that you have something against your brother. Leave your gift there. There's nothing wrong with the gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. Wow. The problem wasn't the gift. The problem was the giver. Come on, church. So now the Bible doesn't say what was wrong with Cain's, but it does give us a hint. I I love this, right? The Lord said to Cain, he he said in verse 6 here, he said, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Why are you angry? Cain's offering was rejected because of his heart condition. Mm, Come on, somebody. He wasn't right before the Lord. And so the Lord said, look, I got no regard for Cain's offering, right? Not because he's rejecting Cain in the sense, right? It's not that Abel is any better than him in the sense. It was that their heart conditions were different. They were different. What made, what made, I'm going to blow your mind this morning. I want you to chew on something a little bit. I can't walk around a lot this morning, so y'all got to stick with me. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2. You know, it's our, it's our hall of faith. You know, like sports have the hall of fame. Hello, somebody. And, and so Hebrews chapter 11 is kind of like that for us as Christians. Do you, do you know the first person that's listed in Hebrews? Abel. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2. Watch this. For by faith, the people of old, the people of old received uh, condemnation. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, and God commending him accepted his gift. Wow. The first man of faith. In the chapter is Abel. Wow. Let me think about this for a minute. Now, if Abel's sacrifice had been rejected, what would he have done? This is my opinion. I'm stating it out there. I think he'd have worked harder. In fact, that's exactly what God told Cain to do. If you do well, you'll be accepted. Try again. Try again. Come on, how many of us have lived in shame and condemnation? How many of us have lived in brokenness and fear? How many of us have lived in anxiety and depression because we quit when we thought we were rejected? We quit when we thought we were uh, uh, neglected or thrown away. We, we, We flat out stopped. And when God is saying, why are you angry? Just try it again. Come on, married people, how many times have you come to the point to go, why try? Why try? I mean, come on, young people, how many times you try to please your parents, and man, it just you're just like, what is going on in my life? 
go back to your room and you're like, dude, mom has lost her mind. My brother and I used to warn each other. Right? Whoever was first home, it was our job to test our parents out and see what kind of mood they were in. Right? And, and, and man, I'm just telling you right. I, sometimes my, my older brother would come in and he'd be like, dude, don't go in there. I'm just telling you right now, don't go in there. And sometimes, I, I mean, I was the instigator. I mean, I got an older brother, but I was the instigator in the, anyway, my poor brother's the wonder he speaks to me today. Sometimes I would know I shouldn't tell him to go in there, but on purpose I wouldn't tell him. Well, I should warn him. Nah, this will be fun. Let's watch. <laughs> I mean, like, I, the poor guy, <laughs> he would come back out of there. Dude, you were supposed to tell me. <laughs> no, sorry, I forgot. What happened? <laughs> How many of us quit? And all God is saying is, look, try again. Try again. Hey, listen, I'm, I, want to, I want to tell you that this morning. I don't know where you're at in your life, but I, I could feel that sometimes in our lives, we, man, we're just so, we are so discouraged that we, we just are giving up on even trying again. I mean, I, I just want to say this to, to everyone. Other than sitting in a ditch, living in the mully grubs, what else you got to do? Try again. I didn't overcome last time. Try. What else you got to do? Try again. Right? I'm, I'm just telling us all, right? It's, life's been unfair. Somebody say amen. Y'all didn't say amen. Come on. It's not a day you wake up and go, that's not fair. That shouldn't have happened. I don't deserve that. Try again. Try again. Abel's, Abel's objective was to please God. And that, that, my friends, is what faith is all about. Come on, I want to make it simple for you. Faith was the real difference between Cain and Abel. Yes, it was. Right? Cain's sacrifice was about him. Cain's sacrifice wasn't a sacrifice of faith because God wasn't the object. Oh, come on, church. Cain was the object. And so when his offering was rejected, he got angry. And how dare, you, how dare you reject my offering? Look how hard I've worked. Look how much energy I've put into it. My brother's no better than I am, right? Like, why does he get that? I've put as much work into this as he put into those stinky sheep. Why? See, I just believe that Abel was a man driven by faith in God, by desire to please God no matter what the cost was. Let me tell you something, church. Our faith should be the motivator to please God. Let me put it backwards because it should work perfect back way. The motivate to please God should be your faith. You see, here's the issue. Most of us as believers, we have struggled so much in our own effort. We have struggled so much in our own effort. We have tried to do what Jesus has already done. Therefore, when a pastor gets up and tells you, you need to learn to rest. You need to learn to rest in the victory that Christ has already given you. In your addiction, in, in your depression, in your anxiety, in your struggle, in your trial. You need to learn to rest. If you notice that in all your struggling, there's so much striving. 
Come on. There's so much working that we don't even understand what worship really is. And we think that, man, I'll come to a church and then I'll worship God and I'll earn or his reward to fix my issue. You see, I see worship as this church. I want you to grab it. I see worship as a thirsty land just crying out for rain. You ever, you ever walk through a place that hasn't had water in years? And you, the ground is cracked and it's cracked so deep you can put your hand inside of it? Yeah, Josh Wired walked me up a mountain one time. And you can't carry water 12,000 feet because it's too heavy. But don't worry, don't worry. We're going to be up there for a week and a half. But don't worry. There's a pond up there that we always get water out of. And, and the 25 years that I've been, I've been climbing this mountain, there's always been water in that pond. As a matter of fact, we're going to hunt around that pond because the elk are going to come there. And we managed to get to 12,000 feet with 60 pounds on our back. I almost died like 500 times. And we got to this place where there was supposed to be a pond about the size of this church sanctuary. And, and I seen panic in Josh Wired's eyes. Because all that was there was a hole in the ground with cracks deep enough for me to put my hand in it. And, and Josh looked at me and he said, um, yeah, that, that was, we in trouble. I was like, no, 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 no. A negative Mr. Wired. Where are we going to get water? You ever seen that? It's like that, that hole in the ground was crying out, opening up to heaven. Let it rain. Let it rain. Let it rain. Real worship is a focus on God. All I want to do is please you. All I want to do is please you. All I want to please you. Abel didn't do much. Not in comparison. I mean, Noah builds an ark. 120 years. But people make fun of him every day. 120. I mean, come on, Noah's got faith. 120 years. He builds an ark in what the Bible calls a wilderness or a desert place. But it's not like a dry desert. I mean, come on, he's got to build an ark, church. You've got to use your brain a little bit. If he's in a dry desert, there ain't no trees there. Where's he going to get lumber from? Now, he built that thing right in the middle of the woods. Yeah, I do. But the children's story show him building an ark in a desert. In a tree for 5,000 miles. Okay. Moses goes down to Egypt. Let my people go. Come on, Moses. Stands before a Pharaoh, and he looks at his brother-in-law because Moses got a stuttering problem and, and says, hey, 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 you tell him. And Aaron says, hey, he said you better let people go if stuff's about to happen. Moses leads God's people out of Egypt, right? He leads them out of slavery, right? I mean, Moses does something. Joshua, oh, the great general. Oh, I love him, general. Here we are, general. Come on, somebody. He's got a promised land. Oh, man, he's going to conquer some stuff. Jericho, what y'all talking about? Bring it. That's Joshua. Like, he does some stuff. Come on, church. David, David, come on, David. Y'all like David. 
David does some stuff. Are y'all kidding? I mean, David's my man. Y'all want to read a good book? It's called A Leap Over a Wall. It's about the life of David. You'll never see David the same. Right now, you just picture him as a little shepherd boy strumming a little harp. You know, I love Jesus. He would gut you. There's a reason why Philistine generals would not go to war with him. These giants look at their king and said, He will kill us all. We're not fighting with him. And the king, the, the Philistine says, hasn't David been faithful? Yeah, but this time we're going to fight against his own people. I'm telling you right now, in the middle of this war, this little grasshopper, this little, I almost said a word, ant, this little puny, he's going to kill us. He would gut you. David was a warrior. He was this guy. He was a great man of faith. He stood before a giant when all his brothers were coward and said, Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the army of God? What's your problem? Give me, I'm wearing this armor. I don't need this sword. I'm going to cut his head off with his own sword. I like this guy. David. You know what else David did? He built a kingdom for God. Yes, he did. He restored worship. But Abel, Abel, Abel? What? He's the first one in the chapter. What did he do? He, he didn't build no boat. Come on, church. He didn't lead no people out. He, he's not... Conquering Jericho, he's not, he's not faced any giants, he's, he's not done any great deeds, he's the first guy in the chapter, are you kidding me, right? He's not building nations, he's not falling giants, he's not crushing city walls, he, he's, he just makes an offering. And he gets top billing? He's the headliner? I mean, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us of great men and women of faith, and God mentions Abel first. Hello, somebody. Because God and the world judge things two different ways. Mm, church, I want to set you right in a good spot with Jesus today, man. I want, to, I want to take a children's story and set you in such a place of peace this morning. The world judges greatness by deeds. Come on, somebody. Oh, he's the goat. The greatest of all time. You ever... You, you, you ever notice how many goats the world has? Everybody's a goat. Everybody's a goat. Greatest of all time. Greatest of all time. Greatest of all time. Why? Why? Because of all his deeds. Look what he's done. He's, you know what I'm saying? Like he's, like Tom Brady looks like he's 25 years old. You know, he's 500 years old and he's the goat. Right? Like, I, I just want to know whatever it is he's taking, I need some of that. The world believes how great a person is depends on how much they've accomplished. And you and I both, if we're honest, will sit in this room this morning and admit that pressure has been on all of us. Sure it has. At work, as a parent, you're always comparing yourselves to other parents. Come on, because, you know, 
Joe and Tanya Wales, they're the goats of parenting. I mean, after all, look at these two guys, right? Like, they got it down. My kids, pfft, bunch of demon-possessed people. I need an exorcism. That's what I need. Boy, Doug and Nancy's marriage, I mean, after all, they teach a marriage class, Sunday school class. Come on. Right? Like, they're the goats of marriage. Right? You know what I'm saying? How long have you been married? 36. So you're just six years in front of us. So that, yeah, give them a hand, right? Like, look, they take them. They, <laughs> goats. Goats. Goats of marriage. Goats of marriage. Um, come on. I love it. God judges our greatness by the size of our faith, not by the size of our accomplishments. Come on, church. And that's why Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Come on, church. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Come on, church. He's a rewarder. He's a rewarder. Can I point out some things? Without faith, you can't please God. Faith means that you not only believe that God exists, but you believe that when you seek him, you will find him. Did you catch that? Jesus said the same thing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Come on, church will be added to you. That's faith. Faith is when you seek God knowing, knowing in whom you have believed and that in whom you have believed is faithful. You don't have to do something great. Come on, church. You don't have to do a mighty deed to accomplish great things. You just got to seek God. That's what I'm asking you to do. You, listen, every day, Every day, I pray over our young people. It's just something I'm going to do. Because I, I don't want to be that pastor that when God takes me home, this church has nothing else to look forward to. I, I mean, I, I want y'all to not even miss me. Why? Because these guys, these young women, they step right up. Why? Because they're already walking. They don't have to take a new step. They don't have to start run. They, they're just continuing to walk. Hello, church. We've been doing this. I pray for them, and I'm like, Lord, are, are there any Billy Grahams among them? Come on. Are there? I don't know. Oh, who cares is what God told me one day. You're looking for greatness. I'm just looking for faith. Ask the right question. I mean, I was literally praying one day, and God said, you asked the wrong question. Is there any faith among them? When I call them, will there be faith? Come on, church. Most of the time, folks don't do great things. Come on. This is the, this is the subject of our life. Nobody's going to write a book about me. If they do, it's going to be a comedy. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Juliana looked at me yesterday at the wedding across the table, and she says, Pastor Don, you just got to hear her voice, right, in, in, in this Portuguese, this Brazilian accent. She said, why, why, are you, why are you so weird? And I'm like, Juliana. And she said, no, I mean that in a good way. 
nobody's going to write a book about me. You know what I want people to write a book about? Those who follow after me. Greatness, church, is about faith. And you people, especially right now, I know some of you parents go to football games, you go to baseball games, you got your kid out there on the field, and you know they ain't never playing in the NBA, they ain't never going to play in the MLB, they ain't playing in the NFL. You know that. But you love them. And they're up there with the bat, and the ball is coming, they swing and miss. You don't scream at them and tell them, that was terrible. You know what you say to them? Great swing. I mean, you missed. But at least as you missed, it was a great swing. I mean, you struck out, but at least you went down swinging. Come on, right? Like, that's what you do. I hear you. Why do you do that? Why? Because in your mind, you want your child to know at that moment, at that time, it doesn't matter that you hit the ball. What mattered is that you tried. Come on. Let me tell you this, church, you know how many leadership meetings that I've sat in and this team has struggled and prayed and put together a good plan only to have to punt? <laughs> it was a great plan. At least we tried. And I've told my wife, no matter how many times I fail or how many times people get upset with me, the one thing that I want people to say is that he never gave up and he always tried. That's what God is looking for. Someone who will swing for the fences even if they miss because they gave it everything they had. It's not the number of your deeds, church, or the greatness of your accomplishments that God is looking at. Instead, it's the why you did what you did. Because you love him. And that's what God is looking for. And when it doesn't go right, God is like, why are you mad? Try again. I haven't rejected you. Come on. I'm trying to be real with you. Oh, church, God's trying to be real with us. We can't continue to play patty cake with sin willfully and expect God's delivering, life-resurrecting power to break our chains and move us into victory and do the miraculous. We can't do that. God is like, why are you mad? Try again. There's some of us in here this morning, we have gone through some things that were of none of our decision. Maybe we added to it, but something happened to us that we didn't want to happen, and, and we've owned our part, but it still didn't go the way we wanted to go. And we can be mad with God for the rest of our life until Jesus comes back, and God will just go, why are you mad? Try again. Do you love me? John chapter 21 is a revolutionary chapter in the New Testament because there's a question there that would answer every problem of deliverance. Do you love me? 
more than... You see, I had to love Jesus more than I loved myself. And when I started loving Jesus more than I loved myself, then I could love that woman. But until then, all I was interested in was I wasn't getting. Well, what was happening to me? I was selfish. Why are you mad? I want to talk to you today about faith that enables. Think about it this way. Jesus takes his disciples to the temple. And, and this day, you know why he took his disciples to the temple? Not to go to church, not to pray. It's going to we'll violate you. Some of y'all about to get rubbed raw. He took his disciples to the temple that day to on purpose watch the offering. He parked those guys where they could see. Everybody who was watching. And I can imagine offering basket up front. Jesus' disciples. Jesus sat down next to the offering basket. You? You're going to, that's, that's you. How long did this go on? You know what I'm saying? Like how, y'all to read your Bible like I do. Jesus is like, there's an offering basket. No, this one ain't big enough. It's this one over here. I got, I got some faith today. And that's what you're going to give? All right. You? Really? I can see Jesus because he said he saw him. He watched every one of them. This little woman comes in with a mite, just a mite. She puts it, she got it. It's a a penny. I don't. She put it in there, and and Jesus is like, "Hello, somebody." He says, "Disciples, y'all see that?" Yeah, we was watching. She only put in a penny, and Jesus is like, "No, no, you missed it." All the other guys, they they gave out of their abundance. She gave everything. She gave everything. Next Sunday morning, Mike's going to sit up. Mike, you want to... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just... That, yo, you ain't right. I mean, you ain't wrong. I've been in the black church. Donna said, that's how the black churches do it. I've been... Y'all ain't going to lie to me. See, there was a whole year where I didn't, I didn't preach in any white churches. I didn't. There was a whole year where I only preached in black churches. Pastor Rick would send us disciples out to churches that need someone to fill their pulpit. And, and I, I managed to, to preach my first sermon in, in a black church. I'm just telling you. I left there telling my wife, we're going to join the black church. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> we're going to do it. And I was the, I was only, only the second white man to ever preach in that church. This is in the South. I was the first white man invited back. And, and the best compliment after that first sermon was the pastor walked up to me after the sermon. He didn't say, man, Jesus moved. He didn't say, man, the altar was fine. The Holy Ghost was moved. That word was good. He looked at me and said, brother, you was born the wrong color. <laughs> I was like, yes. That's my wife. She was there. Right in the middle of one of them 
one service in the black church, they got mothers of the church, right? And I mean, we was preaching and the fire was cutting. It was going. I, I, was, I was having a good time. And right in the middle of my sermon, one of those mothers, she got full, full of the Holy Ghost. She stood right up and started singing. Boom, right in the middle of the sermon. The whole church joined her. They sang a song. Jesus, he will fix it. Come on, where's Sean? Jesus, he will fix it after a while. I'll never forget it, right? And the whole church, after a while. And they just went to town for a while, you know. And, and I was talking about Jesus working on us, fixing our problem. And then when she got done, she said, you can keep preaching now. And away we went again. Huh? Uh, no, I just thought the offering was powerful, right? Because they took up an offering. They counted it in front of the church. The elders of the church looked at the congregation and go, this ain't enough. We're doing this again. They did four times. Until they had enough. We hadn't mentioned an offering around here in months. You either give online or give when you come in. There, Y'all noticed? We have, have you noticed that? You ain't even noticed. Fourth, that this ain't enough. Around they went again. Jesus, he will fix it. I loved it. It was amazing. This is what you're going to give? Penny, Jesus said she gave more than everybody. Why? It wasn't the amount. It wasn't the amount. It wasn't the deed. Come on, church. It wasn't her effort. Y'all not hearing me. It wasn't the size of her gift. It was the faith of her gift, church. And listen, Hebrews chapter 11. It wasn't the size of, a, it, of Abel's gift or his accomplishments. It was the size of his faith. I, I need to move along here because we don't preach way too long. Genesis chapter 4, verse 4, so the Lord had regard for his offering. And 11, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it just amazes me. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. Genesis 4, 4, God had regard for his offering. Hebrews 11, 4, come on church, a more acceptable sacrifice. It was much more as a literal translation. I got something for you real quick here. There's something about Abel's offering that God wants us to see. Because Hebrews chapter 4 also says that Abel's offering still speaks today. Why, 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 why church? God wants us to hear is that Jesus was Abel's sacrifice. Abel's sacrifice pointed forward to who Jesus was and what Jesus would do on the cross. What did Abel sacrifice? Everybody say it. A lamb. Come on. What did he sacrifice? A lamb. John the Baptist said what? Behold the lamb. Mm. Abel raised sheep so his family could be clothed with skin. Now, I'm going to violate you for just a minute, but I want you to chew on something. The Bible teaches us that before the flood, before Noah's flood, humans were vegetarians. They didn't eat meat. So the only reason to raise sheep would be for clothing. Now, just in case you think I lost my mind on that, I did confirm with David Campbell, who my Bible mentor, and we went back through some Hebrew and stuff, and he was like, absolutely. 
the New Testament teaches that Jesus' righteousness covers our sin. Come on, church. For what many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's Galatians 3. When we stand before the throne of God, listen, church, we will not stand dressed in our personal righteousness because Isaiah tells us all our righteousnesses are filthy rags. And who among us wants to stand before God dressed like that when we could stand wearing the righteousness of God? Come on, church, we put on Christ. Abel's sacrifice, he kills the lamb. God offered Jesus. Jesus came to die, church. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Abel sacrificed the firstborn of his flock. The Bible says to us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, Hello, church, that Jesus was the firstborn among the dead. He was the first to raise from the grave and live forever. You got to get the last part to be a good theologically sound. I know there were some other people in the Old Testament that were resurrected from the dead, but they didn't live forever. Jesus was the first one raised that lives forever. So since Jesus rose from the dead, we know Cain also rises from the dead. That's what baptism means to us. We just experienced it a couple of weeks ago. And we imitate this first thing every time we do that. Now watch this. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Do you not know, Romans chapter 6, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. Children's stories. Not relevant for today. Let me say this to you. In this place right here, right now. If you are here and you have switched faith for effort, 